0: You're listening to episode 401, this is Clat 2 this is my podcast. Normally we've been talking about applications that come installed by default on Slackware Linux. This episode I'm going to take a little bit of a break from that, just because we've been really banging on about bin utils lately, and I just feel like I can only talk about how to look at the symbols in 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 a binary so many times before it just kind of starts to sound all the same. So this is a moment of respite from, from that topic, and I'm going to be talking about open source and free software and things like that. This is a common topic for me, not surprisingly, but it's been on my mind recently for a couple of different reasons the the main reason i think is just kind of very broadly the changing landscape and that's kind of a funny thing to say because the landscape is always changing that the world is in flux at all times change is the con- is the only constant so the fact that computing is changing isn't really surprising but I feel like right now, there, there are certain things that, that are, are just have that, they're, they're requiring a little bit of a shift. And part of that, I mean, again, this is kind of funny, because this has been building up, at least in my mind, since 2006 at least. And that, well, and I say at least, so I shouldn't say that, because yes, at least. But in, to, to my knowledge, it's been since 2006. That's when I started hearing a lot about how the browser, everyone was moving to the browser... Desktop is dead. No one's gonna have a, their own computer anymore. They're not even gonna use applications. Everything's in the browser. That was the story that people were, were kind of drumming on about back in 2006 through through yesterday. You know, I mean, it's just that was the constant story. And so it's kind of amusing to me that I would I would be taking a look at things now and saying, well, things have finally come to a head where we need to address some 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 problems, or rather some things that maybe we have ignored, or that just simply didn't quite exist in the same way, and now we're having to look at. So anyway, let's let's get started. Let's let's actually let's kick this discussion off. So first of all, I'm gonna be using open source and free software, those two terms, more or less interchangeably, which is my usual practice, I think. That's kind of what I've fallen into, I guess. So for this discussion, I, I think they'll generally be interchangeable and 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 I think both of them have the same issue anyway so it'll be it'll be nice that that I'll be using both terms interchangeably so open source free software is about code right that's that's what it's always been about it has been about First and foremost, the source code. That's why it's called open source. That is why free software, which makes no sense, but free software, that's why the primary license that uh, sort of signifies free software is all about source code. That's the GPL is what I'm referring to. So that's what it is. And, and if you want the same kind of cultural or the, the same kind of treatment, the same kind of copyleft sensibilities for other things then you turn to other solutions, such as Creative Commons, or GNU Free Documentation License, or whatever. But open source, free software, it's talking about code, source code. And I think, as we have recently started to ponder, and maybe not so recently for some people, but uh, I feel like this has risen up a lot lately, is the question of, well, what about open source code that has really bad documentation? Like, is that, what good is that source code if when a developer goes to extend it or to fix a bug or to alter it in some meaningful way, or even just to audit it to make sure that it it's safe to use, what what if it is so poorly written or so poorly explained in documentation that it's functionally pointless to try to to make meaningful changes like you just can't you can't kind of get through the the chaos to the actual meaningful code you can't find the meaning within the within the source code is that really open source i mean it if 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 it meets certain standards and those certain standards are outlined by the OSI or the the FSF or whoever you're looking to for guidance, the definition of this open source thing by letter of the law, your source code may meet those requirements, and therefore you can put your the stamp on there. Yes, this is open source, but is it really open source? If people can't can't figure out how the thing works enough so that they can change it or audit it or or fix a bug, and that's a that's a huge question. It's so simple to ask, but if you really, really think about it, there are so many implications. I mean, first of all, there is the the idea that well, is that a, like could that be a form of gatekeeping that the the maintainer of this software has made their their code either intentionally or unintentionally so such a such a mess that they they have a reasonable expectation that other people will not be able to sort of, um, I don't know, have the same sense of control or same sense of ownership of that code as they have. And, you know, you can think of this as a person, like this one person who's written something that's really great and people want to contribute to but don't know how to, or you can think of it as a corporation that takes a code dump and um, changes it for their own uses, doesn't really document their changes, and then when asked for the changes back under the terms of some copyleft license they return it uh, as a as a, a single million character file all on one line with no line breaks and you know it's just completely impractical to sort of crack into you can um and 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 maybe they've they've cha- they've made minor changes to every line so that if even if you diff it it doesn't seem like it's substantially, it looks like everything's different. It's just, you know, it's done all the time, and there's not really, I don't think, a safeguard against that. And so you do kind of have to ask whether that is in the spirit of open source. And if it's not in the spirit of open source, then you still have that clause where you're like, well, it's the letter of the law, it's open source. And that's fine if if, if all we're doing is accounting, and we're just figuring out who's playing nice and who's gaming the system in a in a negative way, but the end result in in either case is the same, and that is that functionally the, the code may as well not be open. Much simpler than that, there's the question that I frequently ask. What about code you never look at? Code that you don't actually look into may as well be not open. I mean, or it, it could be open and not open at the same time. It's Schrodinger's code, right? You've never looked at the code what good is it to you that it is open source? I mean, there's an answer to that. It's very simple. And yes, it does matter because other people are presumably looking at that code. You trust those other people's words when they say that that this code is safe or that they've contributed to the code and you know that they are comfortable running it, then you feel like you would be comfortable running it as well. But there are people out there who don't do any of those things. They simply blindly download source code, never look at the source code, they don't know how open source works, does it actually matter whether that code is open source? And then there's also the code that you just don't care about. I mean, there is code out there that you just don't need to know whether it's good, bad, safe, dangerous, it's its just not that important to you. There, there are things like Netflix, uh, or Spotify, or any of those kinds of online sort of disposable services, whether it was, if, even if it was open source, personally, I probably would never look into the code of, say, Netflix. Just don't care, as long as they play movies that I want to see, which they do actually less and less frequently, it seems. Um, but as as long as they have str- easy access to movies or TV shows or whatever it is that you want, then who cares about how their service is being run? Your interaction with them is relatively minimal. You pay your bill, you get your movies. Does it is it open source? Well, no, it's not open source. Does it need to be open source? I think arguably no. It doesn't need to be open source. It's an appliance, and you just might not care about it. Okay, so that kind of makes me think at times well open source and computers in general it it's come a long way things have changed open source used to be almost entirely about the developer like that that was the that was the only person who needed to ever know whether something was open source or not users just didn't need to know or ever think about open source but today in today's world things are quite different i mean people are learning to code at a relatively young age and the teaching tools well they're a lot easier when they're open source it's a lot easier to to actually propagate that stuff when it's open source people are writing little applications for themselves and th- for their friends and they're they're putting them out there on the internet you need to know whether that's that's an open source library that you just used and so on so I think more people are caring about open source than before and I think not just more people like human bodies I mean just more more people of all types like it it's starting to spread across the user base it's it's starting to affect a lot of different people that that before just wouldn't have needed to know one way or the other so maybe Open source is about code now, plus user data. And this is a big one for me because some of my earliest bad experiences on computers was with non-open software eating my data. The stuff that I produced on software that I paid money to use was was ending up being inaccessible or corrupt or whatever, whatever the problems were, and there were many problems. And and so that was a big deal for me. Like, that was one of the big reasons that I personally got into open source. It was simply because I didn't feel like non-open source applications respected the, the reason I was using computers to produce data that I, I cared about. So maybe that's what open source is now. Maybe... 2021 open source needs to evolve it needs to be about code and about user data and i do see that as something that has come into attention lately not not a whole lot but a little bit you you, you see things pop up about how hey by the way you can actually get your data back from this online service if you do this step and then that step and then these, you know, three easy steps that takes twenty pages to explain. Um, so it is there, and and things like the GDPR and stuff like that. It actually is starting to to consider user data as. As, as a thing that needs to be protected. Currently, it is still, I think, largely the code and the data are seen as two different things. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I haven't thought it through yet. I haven't really seen. I don't think we've... I, I think it's too early to know whether code and data should be equal or whether they should be... Or, well, they should be equal, I guess. But should they be considered essentially the same or should they be separate? In terms of like you know open requirements, now, the thing about code and data is that if it's if it's a local local application that you're running on your computer, then presumably your data is also local, and there's a certain amount of um, independence there anyway. It's just, it's just simply because you own. The parts of the of that system that are involved in in this equation. So your your data is your own. Now whether that data is accessible outside of that application is another question, and I think that's something that definitely needs to be addressed and should be carefully considered. I, I think honestly that that. File formats and so on that, that then require a certain pay, that require payment in order to access it. Essentially, I think that's a form of exploit of, of um, what is it called exploitation? No, it's uh, like blackmail. Whatever that is. What, what's the fancy term for blackmail? It's not coming to my to my head right now. But extortion. Um, I think that's wrong. I think that's bad. I think that there almost always should be a free player whatever player might mean in in the context of the data for user data no no matter what it should be a cross platform quote unquote player a, a viewer a data viewer for that data, no matter what file format it is, no matter what application generated it, open, closed, highly specialized, whatever. Doesn't matter if a user put data into a computer, they should be able to get that data back out on demand. So that's about the data. Still about the code here. Is that code open if you're not, or or rather, what, what about the code that you don't run on your own computer? For instance, there's some application out there on the internet probably half a dozen of them, that are photo editors online. You do photo editing, or really it's photo manipulation, in your internet browser. You do color correction and brightness and contrast and red eye removal or or whatever photo manipulators do these days. It all happens in your browser. You upload your picture, you do your thing, you download the copy of the picture, and now you've you've got your photograph. Is the code open source? And if it is open source, again, does it actually matter in the long run? Because that user who's just used it is never that that application doesn't even exist on their computer so even if it was open source uh, they're not they're not the ones running it and then you all, we also have to ask about things that generate no unique data how about that i mean sure a photo editor online that's significant data You're uploading a photograph, presumably that you probably took yourself, or the rights for which you have ownership. Um, You upload it to their server, completely in good faith. Uh, You manipulate it, and then you download the manipulated copy. That's significant data. Too bad that the code isn't on your computer and may or may not be open source. Uh, You have no idea what they're doing with that photograph, in other words. You're giving them a copy, you have no idea what's going on. So, I mean, it could be training an AI, it could be, or a machine learning thing, it could be doing, um, it, it could be used it could be distributed somewhere who knows you you never know but that's that's a, that's that's part of the deal right free service in your browser you get your data back what about those things that generate no unique data like games any game you play on steam likelihood uh, there's a high likelihood that the data that you're generating really isn't all that unique um there's there's an argument maybe with a character generator that you're you're creating uh, a variation of a 3d model with a unique set of clothing maybe or a unique set of uh, a unique ha- combination of like the hairstyle and uh, the tattoos and the piercings and the the uh, whatever else so that's maybe some that that's probably especially in the very complex uh, character generation games or games with complex character generators that that you could argue that that's unique that like you 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 created that model sort of you you modified it anyway with a complex set of alterations which in combination mean it's probably you it's probably pretty unique but everything else outside of that is is just you entering essentially you're going out around a very long path to entering a true or a false statement or a value in a configuration file like that's all that is game save data all it really needs to remember is whether you've been at this checkpoint yet or not and eventually, you're going to be at that checkpoint. And so, at the end of the game, presumably, most configuration files or most uh, game save files are essentially the same thing. They're not exactly, probably, because they probably take you probably track things that are a little bit unique. But functionally, they're they're basically the same. And in fact, so much so that you do see in some communities online, or on in gaming rather, uh, which happen to be largely online these days, but um, you see in some communities where, uh, you know, people will post, hey, I've gotten to this level, or I got to this checkpoint, and uh, and then my computer crashed, or or the game glitched, and I couldn't get past this point. Does anyone have a save file from this point, or uh, rather, up to this point, so that I can grab your save file so that I don't have to repeat the last two hours of gameplay, or whatever the problem is. It doesn't always work, and it kind of depends on the game and, and so on, but it's it's not it's not unheard of. Alright, so the value there, I think, is, well, aside from just being fun, like games are fun, but there there is a certain amount, and I've said this before for gaming i mean again that's basically an appliance like netflix or or whatever spotify or hulu is that an application i think hulu is a thing um, i'm not really sure what that is actually but it's it's a video thing um so steam whatever games in general it's an, it's an, it's an appliance so does the code behind that appliance really matter probably not functionally but then you've got the you've got the very real and valid argument that those games represent a culture a very unique and time honored at this point culture the gaming culture and when Games vanish into unplayability because the system that they were built for simply no longer exists, or whatever the case may be. The publisher goes out of business, whatever. Then the that's a loss of culture because there 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 may have been some group of people who really bonded and sort of sort of identified as a group together because of that game, and then if that game is truly lost to time, then there's really no, there's no rescuing of that, or there's no saving that culture, and then there's no returning to that culture later, historically speaking. You can't go back and, and legally play a lot of, I don't know, Nintendo games, and, and that's simply because they, they aren't being maintained. Well, maybe Nintendo games are, I don't actually know. Um, I don't think they are very well-maintained. But, um, you know, there are games out there that you simply can't, at least legally, uh, play. And, of course, everyone who's who 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 is interested in in gaming knows that there are a dozen emulators out there but most people also understand or maybe not most people but many people also understand that that these emulators these free emulators are they are preserving history technically illegally and and for free when really you know like they they it should it would be nice if the gaming companies would would contribute to that effort instead of just letting hobbyists do it while also very frequently threatening those hobbyists with lawsuits okay so culture culture is important and it's not just about games there are lots of things that are culturally important i mean there there are entire os's that essentially don't exist anymore because the platform that they were written for no longer exists, and wouldn't it be great if we were doing a better job at preserving that? So maybe open source isn't just about code. Maybe it's not just about data. It's about code, data, and culture. Maybe that's what open source is really about in the modern day and age. Because so many people have, have identify with the software that they use, and that's something to think about. But then again, there's there are still more concerns. There there are things like well, if we're talking about protecting culture, what about what about protecting uh, whatever the real like culture? C- culture is, I think, more of a an esoteric concept right there's a culture to a people what about protecting the actual people and by that i mean ethics and that's kind of a thing that's been talked about a lot lately is, is what about those those ethical concerns like as open source starts to spread all throughout our culture every every aspect of culture i think a lot of developers have started to look at the way their code could be used and they're realizing that sometimes those are not oh, those are not things that they agree with there are um, libraries out there that have been released in some kind of very very permissive license with with no semblance of ethical responsibility whatsoever, right? I mean a permissive license for, for all the for all the ease of 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 reuse that it provides, it also is completely devoid of kind of an of a, of an ethical compass, right? There there's no allowance for that whatsoever in a permissive license. You can do whatever you want to. That's that's why it's a permissive license. And even the copyleft licenses while Well, certainly the GPL version 3, I think, did probably the most to kind of creep into the ethical side of, of, of software with all, with all of its sort of, uh, I don't know, it was called at the time an anti-TIVO clause, which is funny today because nobody even knows what a TIVO is anymore. Um, but at the time, it was, I guess, a really big deal. But it was this effort to sort of protect libraries and, and software from sort of Abuse essentially, and that was important and it, it caused a lot of it caused a, a lot of uh, consternation people didn't some people really liked it some people didn't like it some people thought that liked it and d- thought it didn't go far enough and and if it's not TiVo that you're concerned about or, or whatever, uh, then maybe it's something else like what if you wrote a library and released it under a, a BSD or an MIT or a whatever? very permissive license, and uh, discovered later on that it was being used for human-killing combat stealth drones how do you feel about that is that something that you're okay with was that your intended use for that for that software for that code or or is that not your intended use and and whether it was your intended use or not do you really have the the capability in this world to govern how how your legacy is reused once you have produced it and put it out into the world so i don't know maybe code data culture and ethics are all things that open source ought to be looking at and then there's the question i guess Part of ethics would be what about what about the question of freedom? Like, what is what do we mean by freedom? We we sometimes use the term free software. We talk about open source. We talk about protecting code from abuse from from companies or for from governments or whatever. Whose freedom? are we most concerned with? Whose freedom are we trying to protect with all of these open source licenses and free software licenses, these these legal things that we're setting up? I think I've heard a couple of people say that one license or another protects the users while the other one... Protects a developer, and yet another one protects the entrepreneur, and and all of these other sort of divisions of how of how a license serves a different community or favors a different community, I should say, and maybe doesn't serve another community as well. Um, so I think it's kind of nice for users to have their, you know, you to for user freedom to protect a person from from essentially abuse. You, you, you start using some software, and then you find out later that it has been persistently spying on you, like very literally, like it's been listening to your conversation over the microphone, and has been, I don't know, doing something with that data. Or maybe freedom from abu- maybe maybe freedom doesn't mean protection from abuse, maybe it actually means that you have the right to give up your privacy, or your liberty, or whatever. Like maybe that's part of freedom as well. Is that user freedom? You should be able, if should you choose uh, to do so, you you should be able to ignore all of the safeguards and all of the uh, what I think of as common sense steps to protect yourself and your livelihood from what I think of as malicious software. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe the, the maliciousness of a software is totally worth it for to you. Because it's just that easy. Again, I, I'm bring. I'll bring up Netflix. I guess just why not? Maybe, maybe Netflix tracking your viewing habits, uh, ostensibly to make better suggestions of what you're going to view next. Who knows what they're doing with that data? But maybe you just don't care. Maybe that's just not something that you care about, and so you, so you, you live with it. And then there's developer freedom, as I said, which I think tends to mean protecting developers from essentially. Exploitation, like their work shouldn't be taken by others and then used in in ways, or, or rather used uh, for for profit or something. You know, Im- used and improved out from under them, and and they never get to sort of follow that code further further down its its path because it, it's been it's being used by someone else for for some other purpose. Um, or maybe developer freedom actually means the liberty to use any combination of libraries no matter what and that's to a developer all the freedom that they want they don't actually care if you take their library and reuse it or resell it or whatever all they want to know is that when they're sitting down to code they don't have to think about what's compatible with what and what's allowed to be shipped with what or linked with what they don't care all they want to know is that everything's allowed for everything and that's it make it easy everything else is fine and then what about the entrepreneurs? What if someone does want to repackage up LibFu and sell it, or maybe someone wants to rely on OpenSSL and never pay a developer to maintain it? What about them? It's a these are all big questions. So I I think where I am right now is open source seems to have to care about code, data, culture, ethics. Users, developers, entrepreneurs, and the, the the sanctity of the term open source, or, or free software for that matter. And I think, especially with open source... Well free software is a lost cause, right? The, the 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 term free software, I don't believe has ever been very good. Maybe early on it was good. Uh maybe at some point no one no one thought free meant $0 or maybe at some point everyone did think it meant $0. Conveniently it did mean $0 and there was never any question about whether or not it should be $0. That was just sort of part of the culture, part of the scene. It's that's just it's okay that there's confusion over free software and the community was likely small enough that it didn't really matter that the rest of the world would get profoundly confused by that possibly at that time there was no such thing as for instance shareware or or you know postcardware or 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 trialware or whatever and so, free software just meant I'm going to get this thing for zero dollars if I want the documentation. I'll pay fifteen bucks or twenty bucks or eighty bucks, however much much it was. I don't know and And I'll also know that part of the deal of getting the software for zero dollars is that I can also reuse it all all that I want. It's free software, free in every sense and then eventually people started releasing other kinds of software like, I don't know, I guess freeware, where you couldn't actually redistribute it or or change it or something, uh, or shareware where you could redistribute it but you couldn't change it or something, um, and, and all these other kinds of software that just confused the whole thing. I don't know... I wasn't... I I didn't get to experience that myself, so I don't know. But free software as a term, I think, is a lost cause. There's no saving the idea of free software, unfortunately, because I do like the concept. It's just, as I've said before in previous episodes, probably a long time ago now, it's just really inconvenient that the English language has no adjective form of liberty. There's no such thing as a libertatious software. There's it's just it's really awkward it's 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 unavoidable but free software is not a great term and the, and the the next best thing we have i guess is open source which again that isn't a great term either, because there are the, the little, there there are the exceptions, there are the things that you could say, well, open doesn't mean that you can contribute back, it just means that it's open, you can see the software, the, the source code, that's it, that's all open means. And then of course there's the the way that open has now been more or less, uh, the, the term has been kind of abused, because there are a lot of companies out there who, who want to tap into the open source um, zeitgeist, the, I guess the very lengthy zeitgeist, the, the open source stream by saying that they have open this or open that or that, that they're doing things in a very open way and all these other terms that they just put open in front of and that, that seems to excite people enough to get people on board with them. Or or maybe they just say they're open source friendly or that they love open source and they, they that doesn't mean that they're open at all or that they... Maybe they, they throw a bone here and there, here's some open source, here's some open source, but all this stuff we're gonna keep to ourselves, whatever. Problem is, it's it's a big messy spectrum out there now where really it it's it feels like there should be less of a spectrum and more of a point. Like this is open source. We're running into the problem though of who defines what that is open source. Um there have been a couple of different organizations over the past decades that have that have attempted to uh, nail down the official definition of open source and certainly you can find very specific definitions of what open source is, what qualifies as open source. It's important to know, that doesn't mean anyone there's no open police there's no there's no actual authority on on what you can say uh, I I would reference a very famous and particularly painful instance back in what was it 2014 ish maybe maybe even longer when edit share announced that light uh, uh, lightworks was gonna go open source and everyone went crazy about it and everyone wrote about it and started um started throwing up websites for instance like lightworks.net which is now dead because i didn't renew that domain and people started really really leaning into like lightworks it is open source now and then people started asking hey so edit share you say it's open source where exactly is the source code and they kept saying well we're gonna um we're gonna deliver that source code any any day now we're just kind of we're getting it ready we're we're brushing it into shape and fast forward a couple of years people are still asking and finally they say look it's not open source it's it's free it's freemium that's a direct quote that's freemium is the term they use on the lightworks forum when they got tired of people asking for the source code so quite painful they got a lot of press out of it and they were never open source but i mean that's how it works. This is real life. You can just say whatever you want to. There's nobody. There, there's nobody to to say differently, really. Um, so who's the who's going to define what open source is? And I mean, we have great organizations like the OSI Open Source Initiative that's trying to sort of um, define and protect the term open source. But there are very valid exceptions to that as well. At the same time, there's places like MongoDB, which I don't really like to think about because they um, kind of admitted, well, they did admit flatly that they used open source as a method to drum up. Developer support early on, and then switched away from open source um, as a business as a business um, decision. But I mean, Elastic, for instance, Elastic to me seems genuinely interested in being open source, and their license, if you read it, is not very bad. It's a really, it's a pretty open license, it just has, let's call it an anti-TIVO clause, um, meaning that it, it essentially has a clause in it that just says, hey, if you're a cloud provider and you are repackaging or, or and you are charging people for Elastic or, or whatever it is that people were charging, I don't, I, I think it must have just been the Elastic search engine or whatever, or Lucene or something, I don't know, um, if you're charging for that, then then you're not, you you may not use, you you can't do that anymore or something something like that. There's some clause in there just to ensure that that a cloud provider isn't basically repackaging something that Elastic is putting out as a product themselves and and then reselling it. And raking in the profits, so it's it's not an unreasonable license, by my read, and yet the open source initiative disagrees and says that it's actually officially not an open source license, and so Elastic cannot ca- cannot they can they can do whatever they want, like I say, it's real life, uh, but they're they're not supposed to call themselves open source because they are they are not using an OSI approved license, and so they don't get to put the stamp open source on the outside of their box in theory and that's kind of interesting and it kind of makes you wonder if if we do need maybe a centralized authority maybe we do need that organization like the OSI or, or something bigger or or better or something that could say like this is exactly this is the brand this is how you meet the 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 quali- the, the qualifications the the requirements for that and as long as all of those things are in order, then you can put the stamp of open source or whatever on your on your box and sell it as open source, and people will be happy, and, and it's all very official. And it sounds very bureaucratic and not particularly appealing, really. But you could see that happening, and I think to some degree that's I mean the GPL maintains its maintains its um, its value in a way by having conveniently. Things like the Software Freedom Law Center and the uh, Software Conservancy, and I think those are pretty much the only two that I can think of, but I mean, these these sort of watchdog groups almost that are ready to call into question and take into court if, if it comes to that when people are abusing the terms of a license and i think to some degree that's that 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 is a missing component of open source i again i don't know that that's the i'm not saying that's necessarily the best way to manage it i'm simply saying there is no centralized authority or it doesn't even have to be centralized i guess there is no authority to protect the sanctity for lack of a better word of of the open source label. So what do we do about that? What's the answer? What how do we how do we look at computers today and how do we untangle it all from appliances and hobby machines and also the engines of multi million dollar megacorporations million dollar? Probably billion dollar mega corporations. Like how how is all how are all of these things at all at the same level? And it's kind of funny in some in some cyberpunk literature and games and so on, they they do they they take a a very fantastic approach to computing, which is necessary to to abstract it. You don't really want to read a book. I don't think about cyberpunks and read five chapters about. Um, using C++ filth, um piped through adder2 line in order to reverse engineer the binary or whatever. You know, you, that's you do have to abstract it, and so one of the funny ways that these things tend to abstract it is that there are different sort of qualities of computers, you know, so you have like these you have the the street level hackers with these cyber decks or whatever that are that are at a certain tier or a level, and they can do a certain number of of things, but if they go up against a big mega core computer, then they're they just can't compete. Because that's a twenty five level computer, and you only have a two or a three level computer or whatever and it's it's always it's it seems funny to me because that's just not how it actually is in this world in in reality like you you can take your fourteen year old laptop computer to uh a network of a mega corporation and potentially cause all kinds of interesting fun for the IT staff, um, if we're being flippant about it. Uh, so it, it's it's interesting to me that that in a weird way, open source it has been such a profound leveler, normalizer of code. It has. It has touched on all aspects of of our modern society. And the fact that it is open source specifically is hugely, hugely important. And it's weird that we can both have a, a state where open source is... Up- ubiquitous and yet also completely foreign you know if you go outside and start talking about people talking to people on the street about open source they will not know what you're talking about and obviously if you start talking to them about some of their favorite open source applications then they'll know because well they know that the name of that application okay well yes that that i know okay it's open source great is that what that the company that makes it or something what what is that you know it there's that disjoint there's that disconnect of Of yes, it is absolutely vital, and it's everywhere, and yet people just have no awareness, no appreciation, and no real interest or or um investment in it whatsoever and all of that makes me realize that part of the the reality of living in <laughs> the real world and not in a bubble of open source where, where you don't interact with other people and you can do whatever you want with whatever applications you want. Part of the, the part of, of actually interacting with other humans, which admittedly, you know, many of us try to sort of limit, and I don't blame any of us who may do that for doing that, um, but part of Interacting with other humans is that you have to, as they say, meet people where they are, which which means that if they are using uh, Discord for chat or whatever conversations, then then realistically, you're you you may potentially have to download and use Discord in addition to Google Chat and um, uh, WhatsApp and. Uh, you know, whatever other name of a chat application, Telegram, Signal, whatever other kind of name of an application there is for that, which are going to be out of date by next month anyway, so it doesn't matter what I say. But, you know, all of these applications that reimplement something that was perfectly done perfectly well ages ago in an open source uh, format and still persists as an open source f- format it just doesn't make any sense but i mean that's realistically what you have to do because certainly among certain groups uh in that group is usually you know any any group greater than like i don't know four maybe it charitably four probably realistically more like one two um groups larger than that you, you you're not going to be able to migrate them all to to your open source platform simply because they're already somewhere else. We've all experienced it. And, of course, if it is open source that you want to talk about, then doing that on a platform that is then not open actually makes a bizarre kind of sense, simply because the platform that is not open may well have a 100 people on it, whereas your platform that is open has five people on it, and they're already into open source. And you see this happening all the time. I mean, people are flocking to non-open options constantly, bizarrely. And it it pains me to see that happening, because it just doesn't make any sense to me. There are perfectly serviceable options elsewhere, but people seem to just somehow find their way onto these other platforms. And I, I don't understand the, um, I guess I'll say that economics of it. And I say that partly because I don't know the right term, but I also suspect that it does boil eventually down to to some monetary thing. But why do people flock to, I don't know, like Discord? Like, where did that come from? Where did Discord come from, such that it was suddenly the leading chat platform among pretty much any kind of gaming community? Whereas there are already services like Uh, Well, what's now... Well, yeah, Matrix... um, I was gonna say Element, which was formerly called Riot. Um, Element, uh, Matrix... uh, What's the other one that I'm thinking of? Oh, Mumble. You know, there's already these other solutions that are there, and yet people flocked somehow to Discord. Why Why would that be? Why would that happen? I don't know how it happens, but it, it seems to be the way of things. So meeting people where they are sometimes is like kind of your only choice if you want to meet people at all. Uh, but certainly if you want to spread the word of open source, you do have to do that in places where there are other people here who don't already know about open source kind of, it does make sense. It's just, it's it's inconvenient sometimes because you don't want to use the non-open option, but sometimes that's what you do. And so all of this is to basically ask, like this whole conversation for the past 40 minutes or whatever it's been, uh, is is essentially to ask the question of what, where are we as an open source community now? And where ought we be heading in order to strengthen what we care about. And I think what we care about is what we each care about is up to each one of us. And I do believe that open source probably needs to become a or rather, I, I should say the open source community, which I'm that that's now kind of a fuzzy term, as I think I've demonstrated. The open source community includes people who care about users, developers, entrepreneurs, and I say entrepreneurs very charitably. I, I of course I'm I'm kind of in my head I'm imagining a nice a nice um, honest small business owner, but I'm I'm really thinking about corporations, right? I mean that's really. The, the, noisiest, the noisiest group about reselling stuff are the big corporations. So you got the people who ca- care about users, developers, businesses. You've got people who care about ethics. People who care about culture, about data. And then also encompassing all of that because I don't know that any of those things are even a question outside of this. It's the people interested in the open code. That's a big community, with lots of unique or or rather lots of um lots of different interests but they're all interconnected they're all related to one another not the people the the interests and what do we do about that like how do we how do we codify that or do we need to codify that i i have a feeling that we probably need to codify that i mean I don't think we need to codify it, like, right now, together, on this podcast. I just mean that the community that I'm talking about eventually is going to be codifying their interests. And, I mean, they already have. Creative Commons exists for data. GDPR is a thing for data. Emulation is a thing for preserving culture. Things like that. You know, all those things that I've already talked about, they're, they, they exist... I just, I'm just i just wondering if the identity of that community is going to solidify at all or whether it just needs to be a big, broad, hazy thing, which, I mean, would suit, right? Linux is a big, chaotic, beautiful cloud uh, with lots of different things within it, and we're fine with that. That's a good thing. It's actually a sign of health. It's It's good that we are chaotic and that we have lots of different things. Go listen to episode 390, I don't know, 5-ish or so, uh, where I was talking about user choice and 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 Linux, because I mean that's that's the that's a barometer. We we want that chaos because if if it starts to con uh, congeal, if it starts to to f- become too focused, we we, we kind of have to ask ourselves whether whether or not it's healthy. Like is is this okay anymore? It has someone taken ownership of it and is now maybe controlling the space too much, killing creativity? We don't want that. So th- the fact that this open source community whatever it is whatever those interests are and however they choose to express themselves the fact that those that those things aren't written down in a book necessarily or they're not governed by any kind of centralized authority or some small number of 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 i guess they're not central authorities if there's many of them but you know what i mean like a lot of different authorities but at least getting a, a a definition around some of those interests I think, are good. Or just the recognition that there are interests. That's that's an important thing. That open source is more than just about code, but also that open source is a thing. It's not just a feeling. It's not just, well, we're open, meaning we're open, you know, open, like we're friendly. That's not what we mean. We want the code, or we want to make sure that our data is safe, or we want both, you know, and so on. I think the way to encourage the open source community, whatever different branches of it you take interest in. I think the, the one of the the immediate ways to do that is to use open source. That seems almost trite, and I realize that. But using open source is a bigger deal than you sometimes think. I saw someone on Mastodon commenting about how, quote, once you get away from, well, actually not quote, it's it's... More or less a quote. Paraphrase is the term. Uh, once you get away from GitHub, GitLab, and Bitbucket, I think was the other one, you find out just how how lacking the um, workflow, the development workflow, really is, or something like that. That was this person's complaint. And when I first read that, I thought, well, that's ridiculous. There are other Git options out there. You don't have to use GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket, although Bit- GitLab, frankly, it's open source anyway. I mean, you can get the community edition and run it as your own instance and you get all the benefits. But anyway, um, and, and it in the end, it turned out that this person's point was that the structures around the Git workflow often assume that you're using GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket apparently, but I think probably it's GitHub. And so the 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 problem isn't really that the that the infrastructure or the the scaffolding is lacking. It is that all the scaffolding has been built for GitHub, and if you are not using GitHub, then there's a lot of scaffolding out there that you don't bas- you basically don't have access to, or at least you don't have easy access to, because it it just assumes that you're using GitHub. Oops, we we hard coded GitHub. Oh well, or we're relying on something that's not open in GitHub, and so. If you're not using GitHub, then you don't have access to that thing, and so you can't use this thing. And I thought that that just perfectly summed up this um, this the, this situation, the 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 importance of using open source. It it is sometimes you may not care about. The document, uh, the the code. You may not look at the code. It may have terrible documentation. It might not be running on your own computer. You might be just running a a software as a service hosting hosted instance of it. Um, It it may not have the license that you prefer ethically. It, It may not protect a user as much as it protects the developer or vice versa it might not be good for uh, businesses or whatever the problem is the thing is that when you're using open source something that is open source you are supporting open source in one way or another and by and and i used to not really understand how just using open source was important but it actually is. It's important to actually use open source. It's not like anyone's watching you or taking, they're not receiving phone home calls from your computer to, to see if you're actually running their, their, their software. That's not it. What happens when you use open source is that you create demand. You are using open source. There's something out there. There's something out there that now you want to do on your open source system whether it's a, the OS itself or in an application there's something that you want and there's something that you won't find and so you're you're going to you're going to ask about it you're going to look for it you're going to search the internet for it you're going to post somewhere does this thing exist for this thing and it 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 starts to add to the general sense of oh people are using this open source thing and they expect open source support or they suspect they they expect support for the thing and so on you're also supporting you're you're, you're using a thing that supports other developers. So if you're using open source and you have a feature request or you have a need for something, then your request can actually be answered. It can be looked into, it can be it can be added to. And in order for that to be, you know, so you're building sort of a structure or you're you're allowing a structure to be built around around the thing that you're using, a structure of developers. And developers bring with them scaffolding and systems and source control version control source code version control and and all of the other things they they're, they're piling on to sort of just the 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 support system to ensure that you not just you personally obviously but the group of users of whom you are a part to make sure that, that that those people are supported and can continue to run that open source thing and it just keeps going it just keeps folding out like that it's it's like a it's like a flower it's just going to keep unfolding layers and layers and layers because for for just one person who's using an open source thing, there's someone else out there building the open source thing. And whatever they're using, someone else is building that thing. And what they're building that thing on, someone else built. And the thing that they are building, you know, it's just, it keeps going. And it just, it multiplies in a serious, serious and profound way. But if you're not using it, then the demand lessens. Your voice isn't heard. the, The things that are missing, you're not experiencing. And so you're, you're not you're not asking for it you're not partaking in whatever part of the community that you would normally partake in and so on so it's important to use open source and i know that to some degree if you're listening to this show you're probably either interested in open source or you're completely all in and use nothing but open source that said i think it's a good thing to keep in mind and i mean with all the caveats of yes you have to meet people where they are and and, you know if you're if you're going to play in a certain game then you it, it may well be that you're going to have to be on, on Discord or that you're going to have to sign into to this non-free uh, service uh, or you're going to have to use that gaming platform, or whatever it is. I don't know why I keep going to gaming. I I guess it's just the thing that I can think of that people do online together. So, and it's the only other thing besides filmmaking and IT that I really know about. So anyway, um, with all those caveats in place, supporting open source and protecting the meaning of open source. Whatever it is, whatever that meaning is for you, it's important. I mean, I don't know how important it is in everyday life, but in general, being strict about what you accept as open source, and and knowing the difference between an open source project and something that claims to be open-friendly, or open source-adjacent, or open source, but hey, we forget to post our source code anywhere, or open source, but you're running it online anyway, so it doesn't matter. Sort of being aware of that complexity, I think, is, is just an important angle or an important dimension to be aware of it's not necessarily something i don't know that it's something that that's going to affect anything really in a meaningful way at first but the more you're aware of it i think the more you get comfortable with understanding the choices being presented to you So, for instance, yes, you could do your social media over any number of platforms, and you might even, and and to you, you, you might think that that's fine, because you don't need to see the code necessarily, you're not really generating data that you care about, it's unique data, but it's not something that you care about, so who cares? And I think that's a valid argument. But then again, thinking about open source, you might think, well, you know what? It might even be better to do my social media stuff on this open source platform that is also federated. So not only do I have access to the code, but I also have full access to the data. I can run the code on my own computer and own and own the whole stack. And I'm just kind of tapping into this big global stream of social media rather than latching on to just one one instance of it and so on it's awareness i guess that can form some of or help form some of the choices that you make later that's everything about open source that i have for now i'm sure i'll talk about it again in another five episodes but that's the uh that's the thoughts that i've been having lately about open source wanted to share them with you dear listener and now i have so thanks for listening talk to you next time Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.